From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Well, hi there. Thanks, as always, for inviting me into your home and uh, the space between your ears. Welcome, fellow truth seekers. As I always say, trust those who are searching for the truth, but don't trust those who claim they have found it. And we don't make that claim here on the program. We are searching, and we'll continue to search uh, throughout 2015 and beyond. Happy New Year. Uh, Albert Vinzel uh, has posted some great stories you may want to check out on the uh, slide carousel at the top of the website, richardserrett.com. For all you fans of the old TV show MacGyver, do you remember that? MacGyver, that was my dad's favorite show, uh, because he was a bit of a, a, a backyard tinkerer. So for all you backyard tinkerers and, and um, uh, uh, garage tinkerers, there's a great story. Uh, again, the slide carousel, richardsayer.com. It's a story on how you can increase the range of your Wi-Fi, uh, even if you have Wi-Fi outside in your backyard. Uh, wouldn't it be great uh, to be able to take your... Uh, your laptop or, or whatever device you have outside and still have uh, the wireless, the Wi-Fi. And you can do it for just about $5, according to the story. It's a Wi-Fi antenna made out of, get this, a tin can. Check it out. Try it. And uh, let me know if it works. Again, it's uh, in the slide carousel at richardserrett.com. There's another great story. Uh, this one is from the New York Times archives, going back to 1984. Good work ending this one. Uh, so more than 30 years ago, the headline, Pentagon is said to focus on ESP for wartime use. It's a story about the secret projects uh, that the Pentagon was funding to investigate extrasensory phenomena and the sheer power of the human mind can be harnessed to perform various acts of espionage and war. Yes, we're talking about the uh, the remote viewing program uh, that was started uh, really at the Stanford Research Institute by uh, uh, people like Hal Putoff and uh, Ingo Swan um, and um, uh, now this is terrible I, I'm, I'm forgetting his name a gentleman who I've uh, I've, I've met and spoken with and who's the um, who was the brother-in-law of uh, Bobby Fischer the great chess player. Uh, Albert? Russell Targ. Russell Targ. Thank you, Russ Targ. Uh, anyway, so this, this is a, an interesting little, um, uh, piece from the New York Times back in 1984 about the, uh, the remote viewing program and it's, it mentions in the article that of course the Pentagon is denying it, but they have since uh, admitted, yes, that they did fund it for a while. Uh, they say they stopped funding because it didn't work. Uh, however, uh, there are many of those who believe that they, uh, they are funding it and continue to do so. Uh, alright. Let's get started. We've done a number of programs here on the uh, the Conspiracy Show about uh, Wall Street and how the world economy is essentially one giant Ponzi scheme. Uh, we've talked about the manipulation of the stock market and the commodities market, in in particular the gold market. Uh, in fact, I'll be uh, speaking with Stephen Quayle about gold when I host Coast to Coast uh, next Saturday. I'll be uh, I'll be hosting Coast on Friday night as well for open lines. Anyway, I'm sure. Uh, Future Trends forecaster Gerald Salente will also have a lot to say about the economy when he's on with me on this program next Sunday. Uh, but tonight, we're going to hear straight from the, the horse's mouth, in a manner, about exactly what has been going on in Wall Street, or on Wall Street, why the recovery, we're told, is well underway, is a complete sham, and, uh, and what lies ahead for 2015 and beyond. 
Chris Marcus is the founder of Arcadia Economics. After he came to the realization that his first job out of college at the bond rating agency, Moody's Investor Service, yep, the same guys who rated all of the subprime bombs with their bonds with their highest AAA ratings, was actually just a real-life version of the, of the movie Office Space. He realized he'd better do something about it fast. He started searching for some answers to the questions most on Wall Street have never thought to ask. Chris has worked for Merrill Lynch and then seven years as an equity options uh, uh, market maker and specialist on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange for Susquehanna International Group. He also has written for several Austrian economics and investor-based publications, including GoldMoney.com, Euro-Pacific Precious Metals, Casey Research, The Daily Paul, Resource Investors, and several others. Hey, Chris, welcome aboard the program. Happy New Year, we hope. How are you? Happy New Year, Richard. It's great to be here. How are you doing tonight? Uh, very well. Very well, thank you. And it's good to have you with us. Uh, I'm always uh, fascinated to hear from uh, from people inside uh, or that worked inside Wall Street uh, for these uh, different firms and so forth. Uh, let's start off, uh, and, and, and uh, let me uh, sort of issue this warning. We, we need to avoid, you know, there's a lot of jargon that's associated with this field, and I know... You're familiar with uh, what, what I'm saying here. We need to make it boil this down so that people like myself can understand. Because yes, when we start talking about Wall Street into English, exactly. Thank you, Chris. You knew where I was going. Because when we start talking about economics, it can get an, 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 uh, it can get very complicated and convoluted. Uh, but when we talk about uh, the economy being a Ponzi scheme. Uh, for those not familiar with a Ponzi scheme, uh, explain what that, that, uh, that means. Well, your general Ponzi scheme, and many people are probably familiar with Bernie Madoff, the, I guess it ended up being 50 to $65 billion Ponzi scheme that was exposed after the housing debacle. But basically anything where it works as long as you keep feeding new money into it, but eventually someone's not going to get paid. Obviously, one, one example people are probably familiar with is the Social Security system we have now where a lot of people are, are able to take the money out now, but certainly if you're under age 30 or 50, or, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those things where you pay in, but once people stop paying in, it's not properly accounted for. And that was what I found pretty much as I went along in my career in Wall Street, which was never what I expected, and, and, I, and I find, especially as I started learning more about gold and some of these markets that we, we never really read about in the Wall Street Journal or, or see as covered as much on CNBC, all these signs just kept pointing to something not adding up. Right. Especially right. what I think a lot of people, and I, I heard you speaking about Ron Paul in the last hour, and and what he really brought a lot of awareness to was the arrangement with the Federal Reserve, which basically, to boil into plain English, is, is the, our entire system is based off a premise that whenever anything's not looking good or the economy's weak, just print up some new cash right? and right. wait for the the magic bomb to kick in. And I think it's worth just just thinking about that for a second, that really the established global monetary system is based off of that premise. And 
you know, certainly that it, it actually ties in with some of the things you mentioned, remote, remote viewing and some of the things that your guest in the last hour mentioned where it's almost more like a mass hypnosis than anything just because we've all grown up thinking, all right, well, hey, the, the market was weak, the Fed's going to come in, lower interest rates, and everything is going to be fine again. But what I found, especially after starting at Moody's where – you know, that was my first job out of college, and, and again, just trying to keep my mouth shut and learn and figured that eventually this will somehow make sense. But that was back, you know, a lot of those deals similar to what Enron was doing, shifting things off balance sheet. And it just, at age 22 or 23, it just never made sense to me that there are all these deals going back and forth, moving things on and off, and it's, it, it was almost like, well, it's either there or, or it isn't. Right, right. Uh, Richard Russell, uh, who's sort of considered the, the granddaddy of newsletter writers, uh, right. who is now in, in, in 90 years old, and I, and I follow Richard, uh, and, and I like what he has to say. And he is from a certain generation, you know, uh, my father of the same generation, where, where, you know, a hard day's work and you earned a, an honest dollar. And he talks about how today's money, it's, it's immoral money because – it's not derived from 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 you know sweat and 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 hard work and honest work. It's it's just you know Harvard business graduates now are just uh, trained how to flip paper. Well, that that's exactly it. And uh, and Richard Russell, I know he's he's recently uh, in, in his columns has been talking more about gold and how we're finding eventually at some point you print enough paper. And we've had the same outcome every time it's been tried in history. And I, I pray that we don't get to the point where we're going with a wheelbarrow and, and prices are doubling by lunchtime. Right, the Weimar Republic in Germany. Uh, right, a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread. How does that explain the fundamentals of how that happens? Uh, how uh, printing more money, uh, you know, in an attempt to, uh, you know, in cause inflation, a little bit of inflation, which they see as sort of, you know, good for the economy, it's growth, uh, how, that, how that leads to the destruction of the currency and, and hyperinflation and so forth? Well, that's, that's a great question. And, and again, I like how you mentioned that they say this, this idea that inflation is good. I would counter that there's a couple hundred million people around the globe who are trying to make ends meet. And things are plenty expensive, and would just as soon appreciate that, you know, as technology increases our ability to do things more easily with less work, that prices would come down and life would be easier, which, fortunately, what, what you mentioned in the beginning about how breaking economics, it actually, it, it's actually incredibly simple. And it, the, the idea of printing money and inflation being what 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 is needed certainly in in my opinion has always been pretty directly one of those political sales points where the economy is weak well here we we can give it this boost and <laughs> we print money and what you often see happen is that the money has to go somewhere for example if you start with simple economy where you have $100 and 100 apples and the price of the apple if, if that's all there is is going to be a dollar per apple right Right. If you print two, if you print another hundred dollars and you have two hundred dollars, you can sit there and pretend as if 
productivity is increased and the economy is growing and and you can have a set of numbers that that documents look we, we, we it's grown in size but it's actually the production is is because we we need to eat things we need a place to live the, the things that people buy and especially during election time you see a lot of the way the the numbers will be manipulated i mean at this point there's a uh, there's a guy who actually calculates the unemployment numbers. If oh, John Williams uh, to Shadow Stats. Yes, yes. <laughs> and if you just use the same formula, I think we're, we're still around 24% unemployment. And what, what has always been sad to me is seeing how people are making decisions, trying to plan for business with conditions like these that are being distorted. And that's really just what inflation is used as All right, Chris. a way to take the, the purchasing power. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. Chris Marcus, founder of Arcadia Economics, as we talk about the giant Ponzi scheme that is the world economy, and uh, we'll discuss whether the recovery, we're told we're in the midst of a recovery. Are we really? The stock market continues to climb. Uh, we're told that unemployment in the U.S. is 5.8%, and uh, here in Canada, a little bit higher, obviously. But are those true numbers? Probably not. Uh, we'll find out more when we uh, return with our conversation. Chris Marcus here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Chris Marcus is with us. Chris has worked for Merrill Lynch. He, uh, he worked for Moody's Investor Service. Uh, he's a Wall Street insider turned a whistleblower. And uh, let's talk about uh, the economy, uh, uh, Chris. We are told that we're in the midst of a recovery. And if you look at the uh, of the Dow, it's uh, just shy of 18,000. Who would have thought? NASDAQ's up around, uh, well, closing in on 5,000. The S&P uh, above 2,000. Uh, you know, Wall Street seems very happy. Uh, but, I mean, what's behind the stock market, the rise in the stock market, if... If everything is as bad as, as you say it is and as I believe it is, why then does the stock market continue to climb? Well, the simplest explanation for why we see these continuous new records is basically that all this printed money has to go somewhere. Now, up until 2008 when you had the – right before Lehman Brothers collapsed between the Fed's inception and then their monetary base was up to $875 billion. So just to put in perspective – since then, it's gone exponentially to over $4 trillion. So it, it, if you think about what we've known of these guys printing money for decades and then just imagine that on steroids, it's not an accident that if you look at the stock market chart, you can see that the exact bottom was the day that then-Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke announced the first round of quantitative easing, which – if people have heard that name but have wondered what it is, that's essentially saying, all right, the Treasury wants to borrow money. We're going to print money to buy these Treasury bonds. So whether they print it or digitally engineer it on the computer, you're increasing the money supply. Of or, they, or they would not – not only are they buying Treasury uh, uh, bills and notes and so forth, they're also buying – uh, uh, debt-related instruments, uh, uh, mortgages and so forth mm -hmm. like, and so forth. Right, and, and it's not surprising that if you talk to any of your local real estate folks and ask them what they've noticed over the past year 
And if that coincides with the Fed, uh, I believe it was beginning of 2013 when they started buying 40 billion of treasuries and 45 billion of mortgage bonds, and you saw another spike up in that housing market. The time I was in Southern California hearing how properties, you'd look at something in the morning and it'd be gone by the afternoon, really sounding almost exactly like what happened a couple of years ago, which isn't surprising because it's actually the exact same thing that caused what happened a couple of years ago, and we're doing the, the Fed doing the same thing again. But worse. And, and if you, a good way to put it in perspective is that Greenspan, back after the September 11th and the dot-com bubble collapsed, he lowered interest rates to 1% for a year, and now you think about what's happened with Bernanke lowering interest rates to 0%, plus all this additional money, and it's, it's really, we're, we're past, it was, we're decades past the point of what is a little bit and maybe right. we tweak a little here, and which is why I feel it's important for people to understand the dynamics of what's going on, because like you've mentioned, the media is, is, is telling the, the Wall Street story and really following that same pattern where if you, anyone had talked about mortgages being out of line back in 2006, people looked at you like you were insane. So all this free money, essentially, low-interest money, uh, and they're printing it, uh, and it has to go somewhere, as you say. So you have got, you've got these uh, uh, stock market, uh, these uh, Fortune 500 companies, and the stock market is going up. Uh, from what I understand, a lot of that has to do with it's not increased pro- productivity or pro- increased earnings, all the, the things that point to a healthy economy, a robust economy. It has more to do with these companies using this money to buy back their own stock. Yeah, there continue to be a lot of share buybacks. It's also a very difficult environment, I find, for most entrepreneurs and business people to actually venture into new products and, and ventures. And that's not to say, make that a blanket statement because there are, are there certain companies that have agendas. Sure, that's possible too. But just from the, the general business environment where there's so much regulatory intervention, and that, that was what I found fascinating, seeing how really the, the solution to all this is actually quite simple. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't have to be so complex. If, you, if you're not printing money and having, needing a permit from eight regulators for the people who want to do honest business and, and create solutions to problems, you can actually have a real economic recovery. And what I feel has been prevented is that when everything collapsed in 2008, Again, the response was that typical try and prop it up, let it fall on someone else's watch. We've seen the debt ceiling debates come and go. And yeah, just paper the problem over by printing more money. Right. Whereas opposed like, to someone like a Paul Volcker, who people remember back in the 80s when, uh, when uh, you know, their, the interest rates overnight practically went up. Well, not overnight, but, uh, I mean, he, he grabbed the bull by the horns and interest rates went up 17, 18, 19 yeah. percent. Uh, and... Uh, it was painful, but some you have to allow those corrections to happen. Uh, otherwise, the whole thing, you know, it's just like putting a, I guess, a a, a finger uh, in the dike or something. It's just gonna it's gonna blow eventually. You just gotta let it. You gotta let it blow off steam. The economy, I guess. Exactly, and 
The only difference is this time, I don't even know if 17 or 18 percent, because the snowball is so much bigger, it, it's, it's stunning to think what interest rate you would actually have to get up to. You, you may have noticed Russia actually just raised their interest rates to 17 percent, and you look at what the Fed is doing where <laughs> now it's being pushed off, well, maybe not rate hike in 2015. Now it's always a year or so in advance. And I, I still can't tell sometimes which which of these figures are being genuine in their commentary and, and to the degree that I don't know how important that is. But in either case, whether they realize it or pretending to avoid it, there's a very simple reason why they can't raise interest rates. It's the same thing that when you have all this debt that's taken out that can only be serviced at the low rate, similar to how last time you had all those adjustable rate mortgages. That, that was the whole point of, of lowering rates. They even mention it in, as policy saying, well, we want to stimulate the economy. We want to lower rates so people take out more credit, But which is fine, except once you raise rates, then you have a lot of bad debt. And I think at this point, the snowball has become big enough that certainly from anything that I can look at logically, I I would be stunned if this isn't the knockout blow for the dollar at this point. Yeah, in other words, they've created uh, so many bubbles. I mean, we had the subprime, the mortgage bubble. Now we've got we've got student debt bubbles. We've got credit card yep. debt uh, bubbles. Uh, we've got um, well, you know, help me out here. Name some of them. I mean, uh, we've got. Uh, you, you have a, a bond, government bond bubble. You have, I hear, new auto loan bubbles because when they shut off the subprime lending to homeowners, then they, again, when you think about all those little tweaks in those bills that most people never read about, but you know, 25 basis points or a quarter of a percent interest rate on a certain product, when you have trillions of dollars flowing through the economy, that's there, there is eventually a cost of all of the dysfunction where we've seen Congress here in the U.S. It, it, it looks like two, uh, two old parents or an angry married couple, and obviously that can't be an ideal way to run an economy or a business or, or a country, no less. And I, I feel as if the, what we saw, you mentioned the, the past bubbles, even going back the dot-com bubble, and then it was a little bigger with the housing bubble. And however this next one plays out, I feel as if the, especially the housing bubble, really opened people's eyes quite a bit. And what I think is the positive that hopefully and we can all be looking forward and working together towards and why I really appreciate shows like yours so much is that hopefully if, if enough people begin to become aware of what's actually happening, you know, the next time when it falls apart, rather than rebuilding with the next establishment candidate, whether it's Democrat or Republican or, or if they're even the same party, but really rebuilding with a system of freedom and and understanding why these things keep happening and that it really doesn't have to be that way is the best part. Uh, well, I wish I had such confidence that even if it, you know, if we survive this one, uh, that they're going to learn their lesson. I, I just, I, I, I think they'll just go right back to. Here, here's the thing about having. Uh, I mean, unless you entirely restructure the monetary system, whenever you have, uh, you know, um, an entity apart from Congress with the ability to print money. Uh, and now congressmen don't have to go to their constituents and say, we're going to raise taxes if you want this program. They don't need to do that. 
uh, because they just print more money. It's great right. for them. They love it. Uh, and now you have, you know, uh, um, um, the presidential, Mitt Romney got in a, a heap of trouble, maybe lost the election partially to this when he was covertly recorded at a fun, private fundraiser uh, talking about this permanent underclass that has been, that has been, um, created in the United States by design, I believe, uh, where you have, uh, what is it now? One in three people in America receive some sort of government assistance, whether, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. veteran, uh, veteran pension or disability or, or whatever. Is it one in three, Marcus? I, it's Chris, I'm sorry. Around Chris. There. I, I hear the, the numbers are continuing to grow and, and again, certainly, you know, I, I find it's, what a disservice to the, the people that these guys have been sworn to serve and protect and saying that, that we have the recovery when, when there's a lot of people that really are out there and struggling. And I, I think you're correct in pointing out that it, it is really a corruption of the system. Right. But I mean, you shut that. I found within the financial world and I, what always ends up changing these things, if we look back in the fall of any of these past empires, eventually the currency collapses under the weight of all of the debt. Right. I mean, these bubbles are not going to be deflated gradually. They're just going to blow. They could be, but at this point, you would, yeah, at this point, we're headed towards really the blow outcome because the warning signals are there. I, I actually have remained pretty stunned that it has not happened already. So well, what's going to be the, Chris, what's going to be the tipping point? Because one could argue, listen, uh, they can just keep printing money, uh, and, and, um, you know, okay, so China and Japan, which are the two, uh, I guess after Social Security in the United States and, and the domestic holders of debt, you have China and mm-hmm. Japan that hold a lot of debt, but, and they're sort of signaling that they're not going to buy any more U.S. Treasury. So yep. now they sort of do it through the back door. They've got countries like Belgium <laughs> forcing Belgium, I suppose, with a gun to their head, buy our Treasury bills or our Treasury notes and bonds and so forth. Uh, what's to stop them from just continuing to run the, uh, the, the, uh, the printing press? Uh, they are the, 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 you do have the world's, you are the world's reserve, uh, currency. Uh, it's, United States dollar is still seen as a safe haven. They are the best house in a bad neighborhood. Why can't they just continue to kick this can down the road for another 10, 20 years? Well, I think that's certainly what they're going to try. And perhaps, uh, I'll preface this with saying I've written for the last two to three years that I thought this year was going to be the year and, you know, it's really a, a degree of extent of how far you can push it with, and, and it's an excellent question, what is the actual event? You see, normally when you print this much money, you begin to see prices rise quite dramatically, which for a while we were seeing, and then now certainly we've seen this decline, especially in the oil market, which has been quite fascinating, and we can dig into that a little bit later if you'd like. But to get back to your question, Normally, you see people buying a lot of gold and silver, which is not, not seen as much in the U.S., but certainly sure. the, the figures that come out of China and India on a monthly basis, coupled with the actions that you mentioned, where the Chinese certainly giving every indication possible that they're, they've had just about enough of the U.S. debt and signaling that they're doing everything to get prepared to launch the yuan as the world's reserve currency, and which also makes it coupled with the 
the political policy, when you see the U.S. government levying these sanctions or accusing China of being a, a currency manipulator, it's it makes you wonder, well, could China at any point say, well, we don't want to buy any treasuries. In fact, they could they could end the U.S. economy tomorrow if they sell $2 trillion of treasuries. And certainly everything that I've seen indicates that they're slowly unwinding as much of that position as possible. Sure, they're doing a lot of side deals now with Russia and, and Iran mm-hmm. in their currency. So they're, no, they're sidestepping uh, the U.S. dollar. Uh, we know we know what happened to Saddam Hussein when he decided to trade uh, oil not with the U.S. dollars but with the euro. Right. Uh, and some might say the same thing happened to Hugo Chavez. I don't know. Maybe it was a, a poison necktie party. Uh, but um, again, the U.S. continues to be seen as the safe haven. If China, why would China shoot themselves in the foot? Uh, I mean, they have huge investments in the United States, huge swaths of real estate right downtown Manhattan. I think uh, they now own the building that was once uh, w- once held one of the uh, uh, the, the vaults, uh, which housed some of the, the gold hoard. If it's still there, I don't know. But uh, why would China uh, shoot itself in the foot by? By selling off, not only refusing to buy more treasury bonds, U.S. treasury bonds, but selling off what it has. I mean, they would—they have huge investments in the United States. Wouldn't they be hurting themselves? In the short term, yes. And I think they've reached that point where if you have that friend who keeps coming back asking to borrow another $1,000 to go to the casino, and after enough times you, you realize, you know what, my money's not coming back. And that's really what you would expect is that eventually if you're sitting there with this large pile of dollars i hear that there's a lot of real estate purchases in new york and really begin to take any sort of asset value that you can get because you're trying to really minimize the loss on that position and every if you follow the events and their actions and it certainly seems to indicate that they're unwinding that is quickly as possible to to the degree that it is possible but you know it also makes you wonder certainly what happens and and i guess to answer your earlier question i think eventually they get as much gold as there is to be had i heard you mention earlier that you have a few guests who are talking about what's actually in some of these federal reserve vaults Oh yes, we'll, we'll talk about uh, you know what happened to Germany and uh, and Netherlands, uh, all looking back to repatriate their gold. Listen, Chris, we'll take a time out. Come back on the other side. Chris Marcus, founder of Arcadia Economics, talking about what else? Economics, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Chris Marcus is with us, Wall Street whistleblower, founder of Arcadia Economics. Uh, we were talking about gold, uh, uh, Chris, and um, I'm a bit of a gold bug. Uh, and, you know, many people uh, who are attempting to ride out this, uh, it's been pretty bleak the last three years in the gold market. And, and you know, gold, uh, given the, the circumstances, the, the geopolitical instability around the world, uh, you know, the state of uh, the global economy, um, one would expect gold to be three, four, uh, physical gold that is, three, four times, um, you know, what it is. And it's, it's, uh, shy of 13, just shy of $1,300 an ounce right now. But that's the paper market. Um, explain 
how the paper market differs from the physical market and whether or not it's being manipulated and if so, why? I know I've given you a lot. There's a, that's a mouthful, but there's about three questions yeah, well, in there. It's a great <laughs> question and really at the heart of even, even what we talked about before the break of what finally puts an end to this because that was one of the things that was really stood out to me coming to the conclusion that, yes, it is a manipulated market. There are the differences, as you point out, between the paper and the physical market. And when I first noticed this was back in, if you remember, 2011. You remember when we actually had that last somewhat public debt ceiling debate, and which was such a catastrophe that it was actually followed by the first downgrade from S&P, right? And gold went up to about 1900 Exactly. And if you can think back to then, where, you know, shortly, still shortly after the housing debacle and still recovering from that, people were really beginning to finally notice the, how ridiculous the idea of the dollar being the safe haven and the, the treasury of this completely insolvent institution being the flight to safety. And I remember there was, it was late on a Sunday night, I believe it was September 6, 2011, and that's when you had the Swiss who were receiving a lot of the money as people were selling dollars, wondering if this was actually going to be that moment that I think a lot of us are still expecting is going to come at some point. The Swiss decided, because all this money was flowing into their currency, that they were going to peg to the euro essentially saying that the Swiss being the last safe peg standing, they decided they're going to start printing, which I thought was going to be off to the races. Is this when gold finally crosses through 2000? And, but instead, you saw this big dip in the middle of the night, which certainly, again, having the experience of being working on a trading floor, it, it just struck me as odd that no one would ever execute a position like that and you know, I found once you start reading into that and the it much like the things like September eleventh or some of these other things we're told are conspiracy theories, the the facts actually line up pretty quickly and you can there's there's certainly plenty of people who have spoken out about it. One of the former commissioners of the CFTC, which is kind of like the SEC of the metals market, has in multiple interviews uh mentioned that it's manipulated, but you know, you eventually see that pattern of where certain hands are being tied, and well, no yeah. one is going to investigate it because it's it's uh, uh, these bullion banks are, are doing this manipulation at the behest of uh, you know, call them the 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 central planners or the the Federal Reserve or the government or whatever. The, you're not going to prosecute the, you know the United States government; it's too big. But th- this manipulation, as I see it, is taking place because you know, just to summarize. The, the flight into gold, in order, if gold continues to go up, that is a signal to everyone that they are, everyone is losing confidence in the U.S. dollar. They're putting their money, it's, you know, like putting your money in a mattress or, you know, buying something which, which for 6,000 years has been considered real money. So by putting money into gold, you're signaling that we're losing confidence in the U.S. dollar, which, you know, the United States cannot uh, countenance. They can't stand for that. So they then, instruct their their agents to manipulate, depress, artificially depress or suppress the price of gold 
so that everyone thinks, no, everything's going along well. Even in the light, you know, we have, we have ISIS lopping off heads in the Middle East. We've got, you know, saber rattling in the Crimea, Crimea and echoes of, of 2014. We've got Ebola. We've got, you know, uh, shadow stats indicating unemployment around 23, 24%. The price of gold should be through the roof. So, uh, that's why I guess the so suppression is think, taking place. Think about it really could be that last peg holding up perhaps the system of U.S. government as we know it. Because re- remember what, there, there's, there's three way, ways that the government can take the money. They can tax it, they can borrow, or they can inflate. Now, I don't know how much more they can raise taxes and, and get away with that politically or you know, and it, and it seems as if we've reached the point where the foreign creditors are saying no. And yeah, really that last grip on power, and, and wasn't it one of the Rothschilds that said uh, about 100 years ago, or, the, the, or if you read the Creature from Jekyll Island, that if you can control the money, you don't even need the government, and essentially you can control the government. We've seen the guys that go back and forth between government and, and to the banks, and Again, I know there's there's people like Edward Griffin that that research and detail all the specific names, you know. But to the the point of how does it actually eventually end? Yes, I think that's why the price is being kept lower and why it's being. We're, I mean, we're not talking about a gray area or someone wasn't sure if there was a customer order here or there and went a fraction of a second. I mean, this was as someone who's worked on a trading floor, gone through all of the regulation, at least from my perspective, there's no doubt in my mind that it's, it's, a, it's a market that's manipulated. And what becomes confusing for people is that I think a lot of people have correctly seen what's going on, and then many get nervous once the price goes lower, thinking, well, was I wrong about what I was doing? But what is the the best news is that certainly if you're investing from a longer term perspective and again i know uh we have all sorts of compliance so this isn't legal specified advice for any regulators out there but just as understanding what's going on in the market if you have money that you don't need for five or ten years that's sitting there and you're owning the physical gold not paper contracts of a bank that's right. that Something that you can drop on your foot. Or, or derivative of it, then you really have the time working to your favor. So, you know, to me, it, it seems irrational that with all the money printing that the price of gold or silver would be nearing or almost in some cases below the cost of getting it out of the ground. Absolutely. Chris, i got to take a time out. I'm a little late here. Let's uh, come back and discuss further. Chris Marcus here on The Conspiracy Show. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740. Chris Marcus, founder of Arcadia Economics, worked for uh, the bond rating agency Moody's Investors Service, also worked for Merrill Lynch, and then seven years as an equity options market maker and specialist on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, but finally, he said, enough is enough, and uh, I've got to tell the world about this Ponzi scheme. And um, here he is uh, telling us more. Uh, we've, we've been talking about gold, and I just want to touch on, on, on this again briefly. And, and uh, uh, you know, how they, they uh, are manipulating the, uh, the gold market is to 
essentially uh, uh, sell off the gold, the, in, uh, the physical gold, instruct their bullion banks to sell it, and it gets, uh, you know, um, re-smelted, uh, remelted down into uh, bars and stamped and, and moved into places like Hong Kong and Shanghai. And, and, uh, uh, and we know that the... the, the um, the, uh, the, 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 the places that are doing this in Switzerland are, are reporting that this is happening. So we know that there is a move of physical gold from the United States, from, uh, from the West to the East. And so this is part of how they are manipulating uh, the gold price by selling, uh, by selling a lot of it. So do you believe that, and, and we know that the Germans tried to, uh, to repatriate their gold. Uh, it was uh, shipped to uh, the United States after the war. They were worried about uh, you know, the Soviets raiding their gold hoard. So Germany and a lot of other countries moved their gold to the United States and to England. Um, then Germany decided they wanted to repatriate a portion of their gold. Uh, they went to uh, New York and uh, were told, well, you can't come in here and look at it, and we'll only give you a little bit of it. So what does this all mean, Chris? Well, it, 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 in this case, paints as obvious as a picture as it, it really is. Certainly it was amazing that the Germans asked for their gold back. The Fed says, we'll give you 10% over the next seven years. They ask if they can do an audit, and the Fed says no. I, from any sort of business perspective, it, it's hard to imagine any any reason why. Certainly, with all the speculation that's out there, you certainly wouldn't want to do something as simple as that. And to me, I, I think that what we're eventually going to find out is just sometimes when the facts all point in a certain direction. And again, certainly from the research I've done. Uh, as a trader and on Arcadia, if you Google Arcadia economics and silver manipulation, we've written plenty about that for people who want to get into the minutia. But yes, eventually what happens is that you know, they keep selling paper contracts because most of the, of the trading is done in paper. And then there, each month there's a certain amount of physical that gets taken off the market for people who request delivery. And at some point, everything that I've seen indicates that we're nearing the point where someone is going to show up and say, I'd like my piece of gold. And whether it's in the Fed, we hear a lot of the gold is leased out. So whether it's there, whether it's owned by someone else, you've seen, you mentioned the Dutch recently repatriating their gold. Venezuela took their gold back a couple of years ago. That is my best guess of what actually ends up being the spark of, at some point, this whole house of cards collapsing. Well, a lot of people are taking their their, their paper gold contracts, and they're being told, uh, no, you can't have it in gold, you can have it in cash. So it's happening right. already, um, but what's it going to take? I mean, is there going to come a day when when there is an audit and someone says there is no gold in Fort Knox? And if if so, what of it? I don't know that I, I gave up counting on any sort of regulatory or judicial process to help us get to that point. I certainly think that's what should happen, and I've written to Congress and regulators at this point, again, just as someone with a trading background of understanding there is what should be and then there is what is. I think that at some point we're going to reach a default in the market 
where we've seen, like you mentioned, some banks. Uh, I think it was two years ago. A couple of the Dutch banks said they were they were they were stopping their gold deposits. But especially, what could actually even spark that is if if you think the gold market is is a racket, then wait wait until you dig into silver. And there, where so much of the silver each year is actually consumed, you know that I wonder if could be the the spark where you find out the silver is missing and that really shines more attention on gold until I think it will continue going on and be pushed on politically as long as possible until someone says, I have this claim for a substantial amount of gold and they refuse delivery. And perhaps that's the point at which we find out about the yuan being the new world's reserve currency or whatever is being planned just from simple, unless they've figured out a way to create new gold or silver, every piece of evidence that I've been able to find paints that picture that you. it seems like you've, you've come to a similar conclusion yourself. Are there banks now uh, that are, I mean, we, we remember what happened in Cyprus with the, with the bail-ins and depositors uh, lost their money. Uh, many of whom later turns out were KGB, uh, former KGB. <laughs> and, uh, they uh, made untold billions of dollars after the collapse of the Soviet Union, and they, you know, through espionage and uh, all certain um, illegal means, and, and and put a lot of that money in the Bank of Cyprus. And that was some say that was designed to sort of kick Putin in the pants. Uh, but we are seeing a lot of countries now with legislation sort of. Sn- snuck in the back door up here in Canada. There was a large omnibus bill, and you had to really dig deep to find it. Uh, provisions for a bail-in uh, in the event that a Canadian bank, and we have big, stable banks up here, but in the event that a bank fails, they will institute a bail-in. Right. They will take our money. Um, I mean, is that in store? Uh, will we see that, uh, a bail-in provision in the United States? Will we see, uh, you know, banks fail in the United States in the next year and a half, two years? I, I think so. And certainly in terms of the bail-in, I know you mentioned Gerald Salente, and you can, you've can you probably heard him talk before about how he thought he had gold in one, in one of those funds with Corzine, and we found out we didn't have it. Now, from someone who sat at the, the perspective of sitting on the trading floor and wondering – I don't know if you have the the clearinghouses blow out. That's what I would really be worried about, especially when you think about how much of this is all electronic. I don't know. Do one day we go to the the ATM and you, you thought you had fifty thousand dollars in your account and the the thing just says zero, and what you're you're sitting there calling eight hundred numbers for the next couple of weeks? What how it all shakes out? is hard for anyone to know exactly, but to the degree that it's a great time for people to really take hold of what they have, where it's being held. Certainly, I like gold and silver because that's something that, you know, you can either have it on your person, in your house, or somewhere. There's there's vaults that you can have it stored in or, or somewhere that you feel is safe, things that you know are real assets, um, and I think it's important to also balance that, you know, you don't want people to be afraid because it's not, you know, when, when you actually sit down and think about any one of these individual challenges, whether it's some people wonder, you know, want to leave the country and live outside of the U.S. or 
Some people are worried about what's going to happen to their careers. So others, it's the investments. But still, if if we can, if we're able to find a way to take that deep breath and say, okay, these things aren't ideal, but fortunately, again, we have shows like the, the things that you do with the Conspiracy Show, and and I've heard you on Coast to Coast, where there are people out there finding solutions to these different challenges and what I felt was important was to help people really just understand the perspective of really that if you're viewing the financial markets in this traditional way we've been Pavlovian trained by the Wall Street media, yeah, it's going to be challenging because we're, we're, we're looking at something that's a bit of a rigged game. But It's survivable, though, right? It, this is survivable. This is not the end of the world we're talking about. Right. And, and actually, I was living in Greece and Europe over this past year, and especially there where you saw, to a greater degree, and not, not that, uh, and we see that they're now thinking about a new election this, later this month, but still having gone through that crisis, and what I thought was really encouraging was that you see how life does go on. It's true. I, I, I've spent some time in Greece. My wife is Greek. Uh, and and uh, people, you go there, the tavernas are still filled, not with tourists, with locals. I mean, they, that's the Greek way. They just live day to day. Uh, and as hard as it's been, and it is difficult, uh, they, they manage to survive. Hey, they've been through worse. Right, which... which I think is, is the biggest takeaway. Certainly, your your guest earlier in the show, Leslie, and mentioned some of the things that she struggled with. But again, here it is. She's speaking up, and and I'm sure there are other people who were able to benefit and have their eyes open because it's. I think what's happening is that we're all waking up, whatever area of life we were in, whether it was the soldier who went with an honest intention to defend his country and is finding out that it was a bunch of guys who were just playing war games that were sending people somewhere else or you know certainly the things we find out in big pharma and and just that each person is almost being called to reevaluate for me it was seeing that I'd, I'd spent 15 years developing this career only to realize wait a second this is this is insane but how do your how do your how do your your former colleagues on Wall Street uh, view what you've done, Chris? Do they do they think you're a, a traitor? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't say it like that because you know what's interesting is like any of these kind of pyramid operations. Certainly, they 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 I was I was very much the outcast in my views, and I imagine that if I had tried to stay there that much longer, eventually someone would have said, "Look, the stuff you're saying just isn't." the way that we see it or, or so forth. And I think what happens is that, especially when I had my summer, I had a summer internship on, on Merrill Lynch in 2004, right in really in the building of that housing bubble. And, but it all seemed normal. Whereas the same way with government, I don't think it's, I think most of the people in there were just trying to get a job and have a career and, and live and feed their family and go on you know, and mine just happened to be in finance. But I, th I think that people, we can see that it's possible to adjust to these things. It doesn't have to be the same outcome that many had in 2008. And when you understand and can 
read through a lot of the propaganda that there are solutions to these things. And, and that's what I really find encouraging and, and try and help people really see. And, you know, in many cases, realizing, you know, seeing that kids are graduating $200,000 in debt and there's not a good job market out there. But well, fortunately, there's, there's plenty of demand. It's just shifting in different places. And when you see people starting their own businesses or finding ways to provide services that are incorporating what's coming in the future, that part to me is really exciting and what I think is going to be needed more than ever because whether it's next month or a year or even if it's if it is delayed three or four years or, two, or somehow it's pushed longer than we think, you know, again, the positive to that is we can we can be helping each other, sharing information. There is, and, there's time to prepare. Listen, Chris, i got to run, but uh, listen, very quickly, uh, how can people listen to uh, you on Arcadia? They can find us at ArcadiaEconomics.com. We're writing with solutions every week, and also I'd, I'd be happy to talk to anyone uh, at Chris at ArcadiaEconomics.com, and just want you to realize that whatever you're facing, there there is a way that you can begin to use it as a positive and absolutely and Chris appreciate your time thank you so much all right thank you Richard and my thanks to Tim Spreen technical producer Albert Venzel story producer back next week with uh, Gerald Salente Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Tracy Twyman until then don't be afraid there's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known what you hear in the dark speak in the light what I say in the light proclaim from the rooftops Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.